Today's scripture reading um, will be from Acts 11, 19 through 30. And that'll be on page 920 in the Bible in the pew in front of you. So once again, that is Acts 11, 19 through 30. I'll give you guys a second to get there in the Bible. Now those who were scattered because of the persecution that arose over Stephen traveled as far as Phoenicia and Cyprus and Antioch, speaking the word to no one except Jews. There were some of them, men of Cyprus and Cyrene, who on coming to Antioch spoke to the Hellenists also, preaching the Lord Jesus. And the hand of the Lord was with them, and a great number who believed turned to the Lord. The report of this came to the ears of the church in Jerusalem, and they sent Barnabas to Antioch. When he came and saw the grace of God, he was glad, and he exhorted them all to remain faithful to the Lord with steadfast purpose. For he was a good man, full of the Holy Spirit and of faith, and a great many people were added to the Lord. So Barnabas went to Tarsus to look for Saul, and when he had found him, he brought him to Antioch. For a whole year they met with the church and taught a great many people, and in Antioch the disciples were first called Christians. Now in these days prophets came down from Jerusalem to Antioch, and one of them, named Agabus, stood up and foretold by the Spirit that there would be a great famine over all the world. This took place in the days of Claudius. So the disciples determined everyone according to his ability to send relief to the brothers living in Judea. And they did so, sending it to the elders by the hands of Barnabas and Saul. Thanks, Chris. Well, good morning, church, and I'll add happy Father's Day. It's good joy privilege to be together. And there's your Father's Day passage. Didn't you pick up on it? But if we don't keep working our way through, through Acts, then we may, uh, we may usher Jesus back in before we get to the close of it. So let's keep going. Let's move. At first, this might seem like a minorly significant passage or a transitional kind of passage within the story. But truly, I've been looking forward to this passage since before our series began. The Antioch Church has inspired our vision and our values and the language we've been using to communicate them. The Antioch Church, I believe, was the first greenhouse church. And here in Acts 11, we see how it was planted, how it began to grow, how it started to bear fruit. And so our values of new shoots, deep roots, diverse fruit are evident even in this young church plant. And so our vision here at Union Hill is to become more and more like a greenhouse church. And I could have said our vision is to be more and more like an Antioch church. But that would probably leave us with a lot of questions and blank stares. Whereas at least with the image of greenhouse, a picture comes to mind, an idea. If you're not a gardener or don't have much of a green thumb, at least a picture of a greenhouse and life and uh, humidity and growth and maybe diversity and beauty, those things come to mind at least. But we truly are striving to be more and more like an Antioch church. 
as I do believe they were the first greenhouse environment. And the church in Antioch is planted. It quickly grows to have deep roots in Christ and bear diverse fruit and sow seeds of the gospel. And that's what it looks like to be a healthy church. That's what it means to be a healthy follower of Jesus. Just like the first disciples in Jerusalem following Pentecost, we see the same thing taking place. And so you may hear some things today that you say, wait a minute, Ben, I think you've preached that message before. I've heard this story. I've seen, we've seen this model before. And I say, good, same Jesus, same gospel, same story. The powerful results of the Holy Spirit at work and at move. But we do see something new in this church. And what I think makes it the first greenhouse environment is this is the first truly diverse church. This is the first time that in a city, one church, Jew and Gentile, meet together, worship together, fellowship together, and serve the city together. After the pivotal events of what we've walked through the last couple weeks in Acts 10, and then recorded again at the beginning of Acts 11, the whole trajectory of the church and the culture has been radically shifted. And now it emerges in a beautiful picture, this greenhouse picture within Antioch. The Holy Spirit has been poured out among Gentiles, Greeks, Romans, Asians, Africans. They are all one in Christ Jesus. The apostles and the Jewish Christians needed their eyes open. They needed blind spots removed. They needed to grow in understanding where walls needed to be broken down because Christ has already broken them down. And so we see the powerful presence of the Spirit at work, even amongst the Gentiles. And we see it continue now into Antioch. This is truly ground-shaking, wall-breaking, culture-changing. And the ripple effects continue even today. And we've said a couple times the last couple weeks, it's possible that had Peter not faithfully responded to the Spirit, The whole story is different. Would we even be here today? We, most of us who are Gentiles, non-Jews by birth, would we be separate or divided in some way? But thanks to the work of the Spirit, the faithfulness and humility of Peter and many others who followed in his footsteps, we have the diverse, beautiful kingdom expression of Jesus taking place. Notice that some were still taking the gospel only to Jews, preaching an exclusive gospel, exclusive in Jesus, but to find and receive Jesus, you must first become a Jew if you were not one. But others recognized the freedom that had been provided in Christ. The walls have been broken. The veil has been torn. And so from Cyprus, a Greek island, a hundred miles off the coast, from Cyrene, which would have been northern Africa, Jewish, likely Jewish Christians were coming and preaching freedom to all. And that's what's happening in Antioch. And we really see this, this ripple from Acts 1.8 continuing. Acts 1.8, you will be my witnesses, Jesus said, to, in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. And that's how the, the letter of Acts, that's how Luke writes it the rest of the way. We see the gospel 
explode in power in Jerusalem, then through persecution, and this even references back to the persecution of Stephen in Acts chapter 8, the believers, the Jewish believers were scattered throughout Judea, even into Samaria. Philip went into Samaria and saw the gospel take root there, and now towards the ends of the earth. Lebanon, which is mentioned, or Phoenicia, which is mentioned, is in modern-day Lebanon. Cyprus, this Greek island a hundred miles off the coast. And Antioch, where we focus our story in this morning, Antioch was, in, was the capital of Syria, and that day is in modern southern Turkey today. So truly, the gospel is going to the ends of the earth. It continues to ripple outward. By Acts 13, Paul and Barnabas are sent out from Antioch and again to further regions and cities that expressed the ends of the earth from their perspective in that day. Antioch becomes really a model church for the rest of Acts, this greenhouse. It's planted, it grows, it bears fruit, and it sows seed. We see new shoots, deep roots, diverse fruit from here outward as the church is planted, but truly as the gospel is planted in the regions and the cities and the church emerges. More on that in a moment. Antioch becomes and continues to be a model, not just throughout Acts, but now throughout church history. Even today, where we take a look at this diverse church, this greenhouse environment, and strive to become more, more, more like them. What would that look like for us? And there's such a resonance. We're not alone, by the way, in looking to Antioch as a model. Many churches have even named their church the Antioch Church. There's been a prominent one in our region. And, and it's, it's obvious some of the connections when you study the history of the city of Antioch in that day. See if any of this sounds familiar to a city you may know. It was one of the most prominent and influential cities of the day. It was one of the most affluent. It was considered uh, the, the cleanest, the most beautiful. It was diverse. It was innovative. It was, it was a port city, but it was a little bit off of the coast. But there was access to the port, to the Mediterranean. It was about 500,000 in number in that day, which was massive. I think it made it the third leading city in all of the Roman Empire of that day. World religions, ideologies, lifestyles, and cultures collided together. It even had a nickname. It was called the Golden City. So does any of that sound familiar? And yet if you walked that city and ventured into different parts of it, you would see very much darkness alongside the beauty. You would see incredible corruption at work at the same time that there was affluence and opportunity and trade. And it was in a city like this that the Holy Spirit chose to do this mighty work and to plant one of the most influential churches of all time in this city. And so we would rightly ask, could the Holy Spirit do that again? Or has His power run out? A whole new culture emerged in Antioch where these Jewish believers and Gentile believers became one and worshipped together. They were unclassified, this 
church. And so a whole new title needed to be used. This was the first place that the believers were called Christians. By the way, that term, which for us and for many is quite a common place or normal term, Christian, only shows up three times in all of Scripture. And here's the first. And in every one of those, it was a title given to the believers by unbelievers. In fact, many would argue that there was a derogatory nature to the title, literally meaning little Christs. Whether it was derogatory or honorary, these people were so unique in who they were and how they lived that they became a whole new culture, a people set apart, a people noticed and then named. But it wasn't because of exclusivism or elitism or conservatism or bigotry, but quite the opposite. They were inclusive and humble. They were breaking down walls in their city. They were genuinely loving and serving everyone. They looked like Jesus as they pointed to him and preached of him. Even in this passage, we see that they are proclaiming him as the hero of the story. They preach the Lord Jesus, verse 20. He, Jesus is the goal. Many turned to the Lord. And Jesus is the power. The hand of the Lord was on them. And the church multiplied and thrived. Again, as we continue to say, as we look through Acts, this is description, not prescription. Very little of Acts is prescription. Much of it describes what happened. The acts of the Holy Spirit through the apostles and the disciples of the early church. That's the full title. And it's a description of how he worked. And so we don't take the Antioch church and put it as a model and say, if we do these things, we too will see multiplication and thriving and a harvest like they did. The results are up to the Lord. The work is by his hand. You can till a field and sow the seed, but if God doesn't bring the rain and give the sun, then there will be no growth and there will be no harvest. And that said, if we are not seeing new shoots, new life in Jesus, if we are not seeing deep roots, growing holiness, growing righteousness, growing intimacy in the Lord, and if we are not seeing diverse fruit, service, generosity, hospitality, mercy, then we would rightly ask, how similar are we to the church in Antioch? Where are the evidences of the very same spirit and same power, the same hand of the Lord upon us, his people? And the only way we become a church like Antioch is to be full of disciples of Jesus like those in Antioch. Would others accuse you of being a little Christ? And as the cliche goes, if you were arrested and put on trial for being a little Christ, a Christian, would there be enough evidence to convict you? And if you've ever wondered, 
Am I where I should be as a follower of Jesus? Knowing that our whole life is one of growth. But how do you measure? How do you measure your faithfulness? How do you measure holiness? How do you measure heart? And truly, we all fall short because the one standard and the one measure is Jesus. Not the person sitting next to you or across from you. Not the person you serve next to and not the person you work with, go to school with, live by. The one standard is Jesus and Jesus alone. And so that said, we all fall short of that glory and yet are called to strive, to call to grow. And so I invite you to ask these questions again of what it looks like to be a healthy disciple of Jesus, a healthy Christian, little Christ. Just like in Antioch, just like in Jerusalem, are you planted, using our greenhouse language, are you growing, are you bearing fruit, and are you sowing seeds of the gospel? That's what it looks like to be a healthy disciple, knowing that in each one there's more room if God gives us more time to grow. But the first question, are you planted? And first, are you planted in Jesus? I find I, I almost preached an entire sermon on this concept, and so now it's just in parentheses. You're welcome. But these are unnamed preachers. It says men from Cyprus and Cyrene. They don't even get a shout-out. Maybe their names even faded into, into history. But they came and helped plant one of the most influential churches of all time. And we don't even know their names. Because it's not about our name and people remembering us. It's about the name of Jesus and His legacy. So there's your parenthesis sermon. But notice that they first planted the gospel, not the church. And to use another cliche, because I'm on a roll, you can plant a church or make a church and not make disciples. But if you plant the gospel and you make disciples, you will always get a church. And that is what was happening in Antioch. These unnamed, no-named believers that got the mission of Jesus went into a city Maybe the most least likely city you could imagine. One that might look a little like ours if you haven't connected those dots yet. And simply preached Jesus the Lord. Did you hear that? Again and again. The Lord. The Lord. The Lord. This is the first time that that language is exclusively used. And it's striking because up until this point, Jesus the Christ is being preached. The Christ. The Messiah. The hope of Israel. And it gives you that, that perspective and reminder that, man, the doors have been blown open. The walls have been torn down. Because for Gentiles, for Greeks and Asians and Romans, Hellenists that would be living in Antioch, Jesus the Messiah, the Christ, meant very little. The hope of Israel, what did that mean for Gentiles? But the Lord, Jesus, kurios in Greek, they had many lords, many masters, many gods that they served. Now that resonated. And it was strikingly different to hear these men and women preaching 
one Lord, one Master, one King. A striking contrast to the one King Caesar. No, in fact, the one true King is a homeless Middle Eastern man born to a teenage virgin who died at 33. That's the one true King, the one Lord. And it wasn't just their message, but their lives that exemplified Him and proclaimed Him. Are you planted in Jesus? Has His gospel transformed you and is it transforming you? Is Jesus not only your Savior, but also your Lord, your Master? You've surrendered your life to Him. There's, a, I think, a powerful current song that comes to mind now, even as I'm saying this, that says, I am just a beggar in the presence of a king. And if he'll use broken things, then I'm all his, or I'm all yours. Do you see Jesus that way? Have you surrendered fully your life to him? That's what it means to be planted in him into Him. And if you haven't, then I would encourage you to do so today. And there's nothing I can say for the rest of this sermon that will be more important than you doing that work. He hears you. He already hears your thoughts, but make them prayers as they come from your heart to tell Him, be my Lord, Jesus. I need you as Lord, not just my Savior. Be my Master. I'm done being the master of my own life. And as you come to the table this morning in response to God's word, this is a powerful, tangible picture of the work of the Lord that has been finished. It's been accomplished for you. Tangible way to receive and see the receiving of forgiveness and of mercy and of life because it's his life for us, his blood shed for us. So as you come... Make the prayers that you give now from your heart tangible as you receive. His grace is sufficient and it is instantaneous. Living and making Him Lord and seated upon the throne is a daily sanctification process. As we remind ourselves through many ways and others will remind us if we don't see it that we often sit on that throne. We often are the Lord of our own lives. Be planted in Him. That's first. Second is being planted in community. God has always been drawing to Himself a people, a family, building a kingdom. The picture in Revelation 7 of heaven is a vast multitude of every tribe, tongue, and nation, diverse but not divided, And if you don't like God's people and you don't like crowds, you're going to have a hard time in heaven unless something shifts. Now by His grace, He may do that upon your arrival. But I'd say, better we practice it now. And get ready for what that day is going to be like. Have you you heard and maybe even been guilty yourself of, and me and Jesus, we're, we're good, but me and the church, oh no. 
And if not for the church, I think I'd have a much more vibrant relationship with Jesus. You can find whatever excuse you want. But it doesn't work that way. Jesus died for his bride. The church is his body. He is the head. You want the head and no body. You want the groom and no bride. It doesn't work that way. He continues to love, pour out his life, and pursue his bride, the church. And we are called into his image. No, it's not perfect. None of you are, nor am I. We're called to love and pursue the body. And to receive it when it comes for us. So are you planted in his body, into community? It's what we've been made for. See, it's not just that we're better together, these cliches. There's wisdom in numbers. We can do more or go further together. That falls short. It's actually what we were made for. Remember in the garden, here's the picture. By the way, greenhouse picture, garden to garden, we're in the middle. God creates Adam. He creates all creation. He creates Adam every day. It is good, it is good, it is good, it is good, it is very good. There is one thing that is not good prior to sin coming into the world. One thing is not good. It is not good for man to be alone. We were made for and need one another to represent the communion and the community that God the Father, Jesus the Son, and the Holy Spirit have perfectly in themselves. Triune community. It's what we've been made for. It's what we need. At Antioch, walls are being broken down. Jews and Gentiles are becoming one, eating and fellowshipping together. And at Union Hill Church, we want to do and be the same. And so Sunday mornings, as we gather like this, our life groups that meet in various homes, they all gather around Jesus, around a table. The reason the table is in, the, is in relative center to how we can even set up this room. But see it as a gathering around this table. And as you come into the home, you are gathering around a table to break bread together, to commune together, to discern the presence of Jesus. As you eat, as you gather, as you are there, Jesus says, there I am with you. This is my body. This is my blood of the new covenant. I am with you. So we gather around this table. Worship looks different in this room at this time of week than it does at a home on a Thursday night or a Tuesday night. And yet, that worship and this one is the same in that we give testimony to who God is. We encourage one another. We remind one another of God's faithfulness to us. We sing praises or give praises and pray for one another to encourage one another all the more in faith, in hope, and in purpose. That's number one. If you're not planted in Jesus and in community, get planted. And if you don't know how to do that, well, you're already here starting that process. 
but fill out a card, drop it in the offering bag, come talk to me or see one of our hosts that you met on the way in if you're a guest with us and find out ways to get planted even deeper into community in our various life groups that meet throughout the week. Number two, are you growing? Planted, then growing. The church in Antioch grew quickly, not only in number, but in Jesus. And both are important. Three times in this short passage, Luke speaks to the numbers. He speaks to the multiplication. He speaks to the harvest. Verse 21, a great number. Verse 24, a great many people. Verse 26, a great many people believed and turned to the Lord. That is encouraging and it is important. Each one is a life, a soul. And seeing the powerful work of the Spirit transforming lives is worth celebrating and giving testimony to. The church should grow. The kingdom will always expand. That's a sign of the Spirit at work and His health. But they also grew deep into Jesus, deep roots into Jesus. Barnabas encouraged them and exhorted them, verse 23, to remain faithful to the Lord with steadfast purpose. To remain faithful, which means they were faithful to the Lord with steadfast purpose. They're growing deep in Jesus. We already know that they're looking more like Jesus because they're being accused of being little Christs. The Word is powerfully transforming them into the image of Christ, changing their works. And Barnabas thinks, I can't think of anyone better than than Paul, who I know has the ministry and the call to the Gentiles, and here the church is exploding, and I need help. I, I can encourage and build up, but I need someone that knows the scriptures so well and knows how every bit of it is fulfilled in Jesus, I wonder if Paul would come and teach this early church. And so he goes on a journey. He finds Paul in Tarsus. Remember that Barnabas and Paul had become friends in Acts 9. It seems that they've stayed in touch, I mean, probably at least through Facebook and LinkedIn. And he goes and he finds him in Tarsus and he brings him back. And for a whole year, Paul becomes the leading teacher, teaching the scriptures and how everything is fulfilled in Jesus, and the word is transforming their works as they are growing deep roots in Jesus. The life of a Christ follower is always one of growth, always, every stage of life. An apple tree starts from that seed that has died, a new shoot emerges, it is always an apple tree. It may not bear fruit for years, but it is always an apple tree. And through every season of life, a new kind of growth must take place to produce more fruit. Some seasons thrive. Some seasons, deep, deep roots are grown new shoots, new life, and abundant fruit. And then there's other seasons in the life of an apple tree that are pruning in order for the coming season of fruitfulness. Every season is one of growth. As a a Christ follower, we must be committed to and pursuant of growth at every season of our life. We're never done. We never arrive. Because the goal is Christ-likeness. The goal is holiness. 
And so we strive. Paul would say in Ephesians 4.15, Speaking the truth in love, we are, we are to grow up in every way into him who is the head, into Christ. And also at, toward the end of Paul's life while he's in prison, he wrote the letter to the Philippian church. And he talked about his own need to continue to grow. Even Paul, who's been equipped so well and has done so much in ministry, Here's what he says, Philippians 3, verse 12 and following. Brothers, sisters, not that I have already come to know Christ fully, not that I've already come to know this or I'm already perfect, but I press on to make it my own because Christ Jesus has made me his own. Brothers, I do not consider that I have made it my own. I have not arrived. But one thing I do, forgetting what lies behind, straining forward to what lies ahead, I press on toward the goal for the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. A healthy disciple of Jesus is always growing, always committed to growth. It's one of the hallmarks of the Alliance movement, planted by A.B. Simpson, the deeper life, the heart to grow deep roots in Jesus, as we also look to the mission fields, the ends of the earth, and the harvest. Deep roots in Christ and His Word. Progressive sanctification. And that's why in addition to life groups at Union Hill, we have growth groups. We have one-on-one biblical counseling. Consider it biblical discipleship. That someone, we got to change a stigma in the church compared to what's outside the church. Outside the church, if you are fortunate enough and able to see a counselor, that's a sign of strength and health. Whether it's a life counselor, a career counselor, or any other number of experts who have something that you don't have to help you see and to grow. We see that as a sign of strength, and somehow we come into the church and we we think of counseling or biblical counseling as Oh, no, no, I'm not that bad off. I mean, I'm, yeah, I've got, some, I've got some stuff and my life's bumpy and it's hard, but I don't need to see a counselor. You, you, you understand that someone who has been equipped and studied the Word deeply and is still in process themselves would be willing to sit with you one-on-one over the course of weeks to speak truth and hope into your life, to hear you and to walk with you? That's discipleship. We have equipped biblical counselors in this body. Talk with Craig Haney or Darlene Haney if you'd love to get connected or even wonder if that would be a fit. But we have growth groups as well. And it's not too late, men. Tuesday morning, 6.30. Two more until we take a little break over the summer to dig into God's Word together and one another's lives together to be imitators of God as dearly loved children. That's been our focus, but ultimately... In all of our growth groups, that's our focus. Number three, are you bearing fruit? So planted in Jesus and community, growing, are you growing? Deep roots into Christ, are you bearing fruit? That becomes the evidence. The fruit of the Spirit is in your life. The fruit of the gifts of the Spirit are evident and being seen and then shared, used, stewarded for one another. That's the evidence of the planted and the deep roots. 
And we know that the church in Antioch is a fruit-bearing church because they already are looking like Jesus. Service, humility, mercy, love, faithfulness, just to name a few, and generosity. I guess that's the one that's called out here in a specific way. Verse 29, the disciples determined everyone according to his ability to send relief to the brothers living in Judea, and they did so. And they sent it to the elders by the hand of Barnabas and Saul. This isn't a sermon on giving or tithing. It is a sermon in part on stewardship, on bearing diverse fruit and sharing, and part of it is what God has entrusted to us. What has he asked of us to steward? And for many, as we resonate with the church in Antioch, we are affluent beyond belief, even the lowest amongst us. We turned a faucet on this morning and had clean water. By the way, I pray for our sister church in South Africa. They got some rain in the last couple weeks, but it has been hard. And there's many in that city, tens of thousands, that go to the faucet and turn and there's no water. And if there was water, they couldn't drink it. Many of you stood before a closet this morning and had to decide what to wear. And maybe even changed multiple times because it just didn't look right or the best. You chose between shoes. You had to, some of you had to dig through shoes to find the right shoe. I could go on and on. I'll stop there. We are affluent. We are blessed. God has entrusted us much. How are we stewarding? What I want you to see here is Apply this to all things, not just financial giving. This becomes a model of stewardship and of generosity, being little Christ, sacrificial. The disciples determined everyone according to his ability, not according to the need. There was a need. But then they said, Lord, you've given me so much, I'm going to give. And they gave according to their ability. That's sacrificial giving and stewardship. Many of you give that way. And if you tallied it up, and some of you don't even tally it up, God's given you so much, you give way over a tithe. Others of us tend to wait to find out if there's a need and then pray about it and determine what we might give. It may also be generous. That may also be sacrificial. I'm not saying that. I'm just saying there's a, maybe a different perspective of, Lord, what have you given And how can I give according to this ability and responsibility that you've entrusted to me? Make that into an application of all things, not just financial. For some of us, that's the easiest thing to do is to write a check, but to give our time, to rearrange our schedules, to create new margins, to open up our home, to serve in the children's ministry. Those things stretch us. And yet we've been entrusted with abilities, gifts, and resources far beyond just a financial gift. Jesus promised that we will produce fruit as we abide in him. John 15, 5. I am the vine, you are the branches. Whoever abides in me and I in him, he it is that bears much fruit. For apart from me you can do nothing. If you don't see the evidence of the fruit in your life, and if you want the list, Galatians 5, The fruits of the flesh, the fruits of the Spirit. Read them and say, which ones are more evident and growing in your life? But you also need to say, Lord, have I disconnected from the vine? This is your promise. This is a promise bordering on prescription 
is also a description of the life of a healthy disciple. But the promise is, rooted in the vine, you will bear much fruit. Diverse fruit will come. It's evident. And it was evident in the early church. May we share and steward the fruit that we bear. 1 Peter 4.10 Each one, each one of you has received a gift. At least one. If you don't know it, you've just got to discover it. And by the way, we can help with that. Use it to serve one another as good stewards of God's varied grace. So many of you serve so faithfully in this way. Exemplary. And I know not everyone was able to be at our annual meeting last Sunday night. If you didn't get a copy of the report, get one. I think there might still be hard copies available. They can be printed. We'll print one for you. Contact Janine in the office or we'll send it electronically. Testimonies of so many of you at work in the various ways, so much that goes unseen, behind the scenes, you are faithful and you serve and you give. And there's room for more. And we've got pots in the greenhouse that need to be filled. Got room to plug in and to engage. And that report will open up some of those opportunities within our kids' ministry or our music teams or our hosts, our life groups, and even in leadership. There's a number of spots to lean in I encourage you to lean in, use the gifts that God is giving, share the fruit that you are bearing. Number four, are you sowing seeds of the gospel? Planted, growing, bearing fruit, sowing seeds. That's a healthy disciple, it's a healthy church. The church in Antioch is sowing seeds we're seeing it explode, the church, the gospel, take root and explode. The kingdom expand. The church grow in the city. But they also have a mindset even out. And they can say, whoa, look at this. Remember, Acts, remember what Jesus said in Acts 1.8? Probably wouldn't have said it that way. Remember what Jesus said right before he ascended to heaven? We're, we're kind of at the ends of the earth. It's happening here, guys. This is it. We've arrived. We've made it. And yet they still have this this, these eyes on the fields, all, all one church, they look back to Judea and Jerusalem and say, whoa, we've got brothers that are going to be in need, and they send relief, yes, out of compassion, but also for mission, that the gospel would continue to go forth and grow where it came from. And we see in Acts 13, this true greenhouse church sending out Paul and Barnabas on their first missionary journey. They sent out their best to go to the least, the last, and the lost, and to see more churches planted. So they didn't just write a check and send it to Jerusalem. They sent their very best people. That may have been a lot harder. And as I think every lead pastor in the history of the world would say, I don't know how to do that. If I had a Paul and a Barnabas in my little church, They would be the last ones that we're sending out of here. And just like every lead pastor would say, oh yeah, and then I'd be out of a job too. So I would be sitting in the front row. But this church has eyes to the harvest, eyes to the fields, and is willing to pray and send and give even their best for the work of the gospel and the expansion of the kingdom. What an incredible mindset. What an incredible vision to sow seeds of the gospel and not to be done. Because the mission's too big. And the time is too short. And so Antioch becomes that model for us. As we've sent and continue to send and or bless 
some of our best over the last number of years and over decades in this church. That's a history and a hallmark of this church, of this community that you stand on the shoulders of. In recent years, sending out the Daltons. Now we get to send and bless the Smith family to Zimbabwe in this next month. Blessing the Tracy family as they move into a new season and new fields. And sending your best and your most capable, your most passionate, is hard. And yet it's gospel, good, right work. And so, Lord, as we pray to continue to be a greenhouse church, we know that that comes with the hurting of the sending. But the multiplication in the fields is far greater than in the greenhouse. That's where 30, 60, 100 fold comes in. Now, what about you as an individual? Yes, you can write a check. Yes, you can pray. Yes, you can bless and sin and stay connected with missionaries. You're connected with the Alliance movement that has 700 full-time active international workers right now in nearly 70 countries and people groups around the world. As you give to the Great Commission Fund that we were talking about last week, that dollar will give $700 and one dollar goes to every missionary. What an awesome thought. Is there more that you can do here Because we're all called to be evangelists. Maybe not a capital E evangelist. There was only one Billy Graham, by the way. He was Billy Graham. I think it's wrong to say he's Billy Graham the evangelist. Because all of us lower case E evangelists go, well, I guess I'll never measure up there. There's only one Billy Graham. Everyone is called to be an evangelist through the Great Commission. Jesus said, go and make disciples of all nations. That was not just for those 11. Because he said next, teach them to obey everything I've commanded you. There's no asterisk in that verse. Asterisk, footnote. Oh, every every commandment that I've commanded you, except the last one that I just said, that's just for you. Every commandment that I've said to you, teach to others as you make disciples, which means... Go and make disciples, baptizing in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit and teaching. Where has God planted you? As we say often, Redmond, Washington is the ends of the earth if you are standing in Jerusalem, Israel. The Holy Spirit and God's people have been faithful. Will we? Where has He planted you? Workplace, neighborhood, community. We're called to just be a light and salt. For some of us, that means just opening up our table and our home to our neighbors and not being, not needing to be a capital E evangelist, but a lowercase e opportunity to cultivate relationships with lost people and be prepared to speak of the hope that we have that becomes evident as people see into our lives. Do you have that kind of hope that people would ask about it? By the way, have you asked to, for the gift of capital E, evangelism? Most of us just say, I don't have that. I know, I know evangelists. 
Man, I know this guy. He goes on the airplane. He spills his hot coffee on the guy next to him at the beginning of the flight. By the end of it, he's leading him to Jesus. In fact, now he just spills it on purpose. It opens up a conversation. I, I, I don't have that gift. Have you ever asked for it? I'm just saying. Be careful what you ask for. There's something stirring in our city. You can go to a couple websites, awakenseattle.org and saturatethesound.com. These movements do seem to come and go. This one is coming. Will it go? We don't look to what is past, but we look forward to what is to come. Right now, there's at least 100 churches partnering together to pray for 100 days. The vision is that there would be a gospel community for every 1,000 people in our region. Right now, it's like one for every 3,500, and that's maybe generous. Think about the neighborhoods you live in or the communities you live in. Or Microsoft, what do we need? 500 communities? It's not that big yet, is it? 50? Someone do the math. It's stirring. There's something happening. And I encourage you to see and to plug in. I invite you to be a part of it. I was just at a luncheon this week. I think there was 35 pastors, friends, leaders coming together to pray to be stirred, and to say, we want to be one church. And it was a diverse room. Now, if I ask you, how many churches are there on the east side? Everyone should get that one right. There's one church. We don't all meet in the same location. And that's what it would truly mean to be, the Antioch, to be an Antioch church. There was one church in Antioch. They didn't all meet in the same place. 500,000 people, massive numbers growing. There's no way. What did it look like? How different was it than our scattering of believers in our region? I think it was just different in mindset and commitment and unity. Lord, break down walls. We are one church. We are your people because when we come around your throne, it's going to look very different than what all of us do on Sunday mornings. Okay, final thing. Let me land this. Good job. It's warm. It's nice. It's Father's Day. Going to the park or the beach or out to eat soon. You're like, Ben, wrap this thing up. Remember, all of this must be a result of who we are in Christ. Okay, so catch yourself if you've been going through this whole thing going planted, growing, bearing fruit. So I... Yes, I'm in this community. I show up three out of eight Sundays on Sunday morning. The average Christian, I give this much. I serve in this ministry. Okay, I should do better at evangelism. Does anyone score scorecard this morning? Okay, tear that up. Throw that away. <laughs> That's not the point. Yeah, you might need to do more. God might be asking you to do something different and something more. Listen to him. But the result of this is being planted in Jesus. It's where we started. Because if you just think, I need to do more, and oh, yeah, I'm not measuring up, and Ben would like me to do this, and I know my family probably would, my husband would, or my wife would. That'd be better for my kids if I looked like that and did more, and yeah, there's help. They, they need help in the nursery and the toddler room and the kids' ministry. It's not about doing more. It's about being planted in Jesus. This is the result of being planted in Jesus, the fruit that is being born in our life. 
healthy disciples have met Jesus, surrendered their life to him. He's their savior and Lord. They're filled with the Holy Spirit and their life becomes evident of that. As we come to the table this morning, as we respond to Jesus, be reminded and ask him to continue to transform us. Lord, do that work. Paul says in 2 Corinthians 3.18, I'll leave us with this, and the team can come. Actually, well, it's just three of you, so it shouldn't take you too long to get here, but come on. Our very own Peter, Paul, and Mary, Lauren. It's biblical, right? Peter, Paul, and Mary. Okay, it's too much. 2 Corinthians 3.18, And we all with unveiled face, beholding the glory of the Lord, are being transformed into the same image from one degree of glory to another. For this comes from the Lord who is the Spirit. May we behold Him this morning. He is the hero. He is the goal. He is the power if His hand is upon us. May we be transformed by Him more and more. And then may the result of that as we walk out these doors to lunch, to family gatherings, to work in the yard, to watch the first place Mariners. I haven't said that ever in my preaching <laughs> ministry. There a half came back. Thanks, Eric. The wildly hot Seattle Mariners. I don't think people have even noticed. I mean, really. So if that's news to you, they're 21 games over 500. May we be planted in Jesus, growing in Jesus, bearing fruit for Jesus, and sowing seeds of Jesus. Pray with me. Father, thank you for your grace and your mercy that continuously poured out on me and the opportunity to try to express your word, to try to communicate your heart in imperfect words and through a broken vessel. But Lord, you use broken things. Keep us humble, Lord. Fill us more fully, Lord, with your spirit, we pray. Help us be rooted in you, Jesus, Savior, Jesus, our Lord. And show us, open our eyes, open our eyes, open our heart to see the fruit that you're already growing in us, that we might use it and steward it for others in need. Give us opportunities, Lord, to proclaim you to give testimony to who you are and what you've done, how you've changed our life. And to be unapologetic about that. We leave the results into your hands, Lord, but we do long for new life, new shoots in you from young to old. We long for deep roots growing to be more and more like you, transformed into your image, and for diverse fruit to give you glory and honor because you are a creative, diverse God. And we thank you and we worship you for that. Thank you for adopting us in to your family, to your body. We love you, Lord. And we offer these praises and our heart to you again this morning. For your glory and our joy, we pray. Amen.